0: That is our heart's desire here this morning, so we look to you for all of this, we look to you for your grace to make this happen, in Jesus' name, amen. Alright, we're going to do a quick uh, summary overview of this series, just in case you haven't been tracking along, some of you have been at different parts of this, um, I myself have missed a part or two along the way, so I thought it would be good to just do a, a flyover to see what we've been talking about, and then we'll, uh, we'll just kind of hit this last one home here, but um, The whole series comes from, uh, really, it's founded off of one verse, one final set of instructions that Jesus gave His disciples. And and if you've heard one verse in this seven weeks, seven parts, you've, you've heard this one a few times. Anyone heard this verse at all? Anyone remember this verse? Got it all memorized there? All right. Speaking of memory verses, man... I don't know what's happening, but the bucket is tilted highly in favor of the women there. We've got to get out there. I saw some rolls of pennies in there, and I don't know if those are legit or not, but uh, they are heavy for sure. Um, but anyways Jesus said this, "...all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." That's what He said after the resurrection, as if people didn't know it by then. He had all authority. He said, "...therefore, go." and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So we've been trying to answer one question throughout this whole series and that is what is a disciple? And how do we make disciples like Jesus commanded? And that's really been the, the theme throughout the seven parts. We're going to look at a quick review on that. Um, part. Uh, seven marks of a true disciple is one way to look at it. The seven, series, seven parts of the series or maybe seven marks of a true disciple. And you might remember some of them. Part one, we talked about counting the cost, about carrying a cross, about obeying His call. Some of the verses we looked at, one of the, the ones we hit home was Luke 14. Thirty-three, where Jesus said this, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything He has cannot be My disciple. Jesus said, there's some prerequisites if you're even going to get in the game of following Me. And and He was pretty serious about that. Part 2, we looked at the idea of obeying His Word. People talk about, yeah, I follow Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You know, and everyone's got a different Jesus. But we're talking about following the Jesus that... Jesus said this in John 8.31, It says, to the Jews who believed in Him, Jesus said, if you hold to My teaching... Then you really are my disciples. Uh, Another way was put, if you continue in my word, then you are really true, are you truly disciples of mine? Continuing in his word and his teaching is a way to show you're following the right Jesus. And and in the process you become like Jesus. Part three, Tim talked about being a worshiper, that, that God is looking, the Father is looking for those who will worship him. Not just workers, not just laborers, but those who will worship him in spirit. And in truth, I also think of the great commandment along this line, that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. God is looking, a disciple, a mark of a disciple is a worshiper of God, one who loves God supremely. Uh, part 4, we talked about being marked by Jesus' mission. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus if you have not taken ownership of His mission. And you have to have a compassion for those who have lost their relationship with God. And a disciple is marked by that. Part 5, Greg Miller talked about being marked by a love for fellow believers. Not just a love in general, but a love that plays out in a very practical way. Being attached, committed to a local church family where you can express the love that Jesus expressed to His disciples, laying down your life for another, for your fellow believers says, that's how people will know your disciples of His, by your love for one another. Part 6, Jeff talked about, a, a marked by maybe an overcoming life, overcoming the devil, the flesh, and the world. In some ways, I would say, it would be a life that is unmarked or unstained by this world. Are you living a life that is unstained by the world in which you're carrying out this mission? Uh, are you overcoming those things that would hold you back? And part seven we're going to look at this morning is that Jesus made it very clear a disciple of his will be marked by much fruit. We're going to look at that. What is fruit? What is much fruit? And how can we be marked by that? And so um, as we get into those points about much fruit here, we've got four essential truths we're going to look at to to help us bear much fruit. But uh, first we're going to watch a video uh, in the Just So It campaign of of a a story of a person that I think would qualify for one who was marked by much fruit. One who maybe has had life... A little harder has life a little harder than you and i have on this very same mission so let's just watch this video for a moment
1: austin texas the capital of texas said it was a very important city and my wife martine and i led a team of about 35 people to move to Austin to start a church there. While we were there, I had a request from a person I didn't even know. And she called and said, I've been listening to some of the tapes and some of my friends go to the church where you are, Mr. Martindale. I wonder if you might come by and visit me. And I said, sure, I'd love to. And I went by, and that was my first contact with a lady whose name was Thelma. I don't even remember her last name, but it was interesting as I walked in to sit down next to Thelma, a person who was a paraplegic. She said, I'm sorry that I can't come to church, but someone would have to carry me if I did. So I don't go to church. But I'm very interested. I'm a believer. I have Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I really want to serve God and do some of the things that I know He wants me to do. And one of my friends who goes to the church said that you've been talking about sharing the gospel and witnessing to as many as possible of our friends, and I would like to do that, but I don't know how I can. She said, I don't know anything that I can do. I can't go out. I can't go place." And so I don't remember exactly how our conversation went, as that was a number of years ago, but I remember telling her, Thelma, God can lead you. And God can show you, no matter what your circumstances are, how you can be a witness to Him. Well, she called me up a little bit later on, uh, sometime later, and I went to visit her and she said, Herschel, this is what's happened in the last couple of years since we talked. She said, I began to pray to God and say, Lord, how can I be a witness? I can't get out of the house. How can I do that? She said, well, I have a telephone. I can call some people, but I don't know who to call. So she said, I felt led to buy a crisscross directory. I don't know if they even have those now, but at that time, the the crisscross directory would list the people's names according to where their houses were on a street. So she got that directory and looked at the homes and all the families and the people in the square block around her house. And then she began to call them. Had the telephones, numbers of all those people. She began to call them. She said I'd call them and I'd say, Hi, I'm Thelma. I know you don't know me. And I don't know you, but I'm your neighbor. And I need to apologize that I'm on the phone, but I'm a paraplegic and I can't go out of the house. But I just got to thinking, I can talk to people by phone. Would you mind if you and I got acquainted? And I'd love to even pray for you and your family if you'd tell me some things about your family. So she said, I started doing that, and the people were all just so happy. Everybody was just kind and considerate and friendly, and they would tell me about I'm married or I'm not married or I have these children and this is the number and these are in school and these are some of the challenges that I face. And so I kept notes on a notebook next to my telephone about each one of those people to where I got to know their names, The names of their husbands, where their husbands worked, what they had done, uh, this sort of thing, the names of their children, where they were in school. I got to know all that information about those people, and I started praying for them regularly. And each week I would try to call each of those people and say, Hi Mary, this is Thelma. And I was just wondering how everything was going. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your children. You told me that that Sarah had a really, really bad sickness and, and you were really concerned. And I've been praying each day for you and for Sarah. And I just wanted to know how that they were. And she said, I kept talking to people like that. Every time i called, they'd give me more information. I'd write it all down. And um, then one day I said, you know, I can't come to see you, but you could come to see me if you wanted to. And she said, I was amazed that almost every one of those people said, oh, I'd love to meet you. We've been talking now for weeks, and I'd love to meet you and get acquainted. And they would come and visit me. And they would sit down beside uh, my chair and we'd chat and we'd talk. She said, you can just imagine at some point what we talked about. At some point after we felt like we were really friends, I'd say, you know, can I share with you one of the most important things that has ever happened in my life? Well, of course. And I would tell them about the Lord Jesus. And she said, Hertha, do you know something? Over the last two years since we first talked about this... There have been over 40 people that have sat next to me and asked Jesus Christ to come into their life to be their Savior and Lord.
0: So that's uh, I think a great example of, of a disciple that God that was used to bear much fruit, show themselves to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about that here this morning. Here um, the next slide we've got really this whole message on being marked by fruit. It really, a lot of it comes from this verse right here that Jesus said. He said, "My Father is glorified by this." That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Very challenging verse, very full verse, but my Father is glorified by this. Here's something that your Father is glorified by that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciple. You know, there's a, 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 thing, a lot of challenging things. What, is it, what does it mean? What is fruit? You know, what does it mean by fruit? You know, in a general sense, what do you think of when you think of fruit? Um, anyone, any fruit? We got Zach. You probably know the difference between fruits and vegetables and other things. Where's Zach at, yeah? Yeah. Any any things you could tell us about fruit we need to know? Zucchini is a fruit. Zucchini is a fruit. Zucchini is a fruit. It has a lot of seeds too, right? Generally, when I think of fruit, you know, Jesus wasn't getting, I don't think, so technical the difference between uh, fruit and a vegetable. And, you know, sometimes the this idea of fruitful uh, in general, he talked about wheat and how fruitful wheat could be. And he talked about fruit and this one relates to the vine and, and grapes. But when I think of fruit, two things that come to mind are the content of the fruit, the fruit, the meat of the fruit, what the fruit is made out of, and then I also think about a fruit, and maybe it's part of being a fruit is that it had seeds. Maybe, maybe not. In this case, that is true uh, in the spiritual sense. That is true in general. Though, there's fruit with meat and with seeds. And when you think of some sort of a, I don't know, fruit that would be described as much fruit, what fruit comes to, to mind in, in your eyes, right? related to meat or seeds? Either one. Let's let's hear it. Watermelon, grape. Watermelon. Grape. Apple. Banana, yeah, bananas. I heard has really tiny, tiny seeds, right? Who said banana? Alan. Yeah, Alan. Yeah, were you just saying that for fun or do you know it? <laughs> bananas, uh, bananas to have these real a bunch of little tiny seeds that are hard to see unless you're looking for them. What other things have seeds and fruit and uh, strawberries? You know, strawberries are unique in that they have the little tiny seeds that are external to the fruit. Uh, what else do we have? Pomegranates. Pomegranates, one I think when you talk about seeds. It's all seeds, right? I mean, the whole thing is seed except for the little juice that's around the seed. They say that a pomegranate can average somewhere around 600 seeds per pomegranate, depending on where on the planet you're getting your pomegranate from. Some as low as 128 all the way up to uh, almost 1,200 seeds in a pomegranate. So when I think about the idea of much fruit, I think about some of those. It's not just, you know, watermelon is a great example as well. It's big. It has a lot of meat to it. Uh, but it also has, the watermelon has a ton of seeds. And so a watermelon, you can eat it. You spit your seeds out. You grow more watermelons. You could, we could fill the entire planet with watermelons real fast if we work together, you know. Um, but in the New Testament sense, uh, those two types of fruit that Jesus is referring to in this sort of situation, you know, there's sometimes he talks about the fruit of good versus evil. You could tell who a true believer is whether there's evil in their lives and and, you know he talked about a thorn bush versus uh, uh, something with grapes or with olives there's good food and there's bad food and you can tell what type of person they are but this he's talking in the context of a a believer that's really a true disciple bears much fruit and and most people would understand that from the New Testament sense to mean one the fruit of the fruit of the spirit Galatians 5.22 the fruit of the spirit is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think that's all nine of them. But the idea of the fruit of the Spirit being the fruit of the spirit of Jesus, the fruit of Christ-likeness in our lives is one form the meat of our lives. But then there's this seed part of it. It's the idea of reproducing. And you know, I think of uh, this verse from, uh, from John, the Gospel of John. He put it like this. The fruit of the harvest, really. He says, that harvesters are paid good wages. John 4.34 and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life there's two types of fruit that Jesus would speak about one is the character and the content of your life the other is the fruit of the harvest leading people introducing people to Jesus Christ and he used different analogies on the 30 and the 60 and the 100 fold return related to that and so those are the type of fruits we're going to talk about and we're going to, what does it mean not just to have fruit but much fruit you know again I think about boy if I wanted to pick a fruit that represented my spiritual life what would it be you know I think the pomegranate would be a good one you could reproduce say if you, you know, just said you had a thousand seeds one pomegranate seed could potentially minus attrition and pass another things, could have a thousand fold return on it that's a big deal a couple of iterations of that and you get to a billion and a trillion real fast talk about much fruit um, but we're going to look at you know the, the next let's see what we have after much fruit um What does much fruit mean? Yeah, so um, again, what does it mean much fruit? That's what we're going to talk about here. Three errors to avoid real quickly as it relates to this concept of fruit. Already if you've heard about teaching uh, the teaching of fruit and leading others to Christ and character, I think there's three natural responses to this and you might be experiencing one of them right now. The first error we have to avoid is Uh, Who are you to define fruit like that? I don't like your definition. It it kind of annoys me that you would say that fruit that Jesus was talking about. And if you have that sense in your heart right now, this message is for you. Uh, And so so are all the other errors as well. But um, there's another thing we can add. That's redefining fruit. It means something else that's not related to leading people to Christ or Christ-like character. It's got to mean something else because by that definition... I don't know how, how much fruit's going in my life. The next error to avoid is undervaluing fruit. We can say, ah, what's the big deal? Evangelists, they lead people to Christ. I do other things. That's, that's their gift and, and this is mine. We can undervalue it. And, and, and I think we have to be careful that, it, you know, who cares? What's the big deal? If Jesus says something very strong. He says, this would prove, this gives proof that you're my disciple. I think we have to watch out in a world where everyone's defined, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian. Yeah, everyone's got their own definition, but when you look at Jesus' definition, which this whole series has been about, uh, sometimes our definitions do not overlap with His definition. And He says, here's something that will glorify the Father and prove, you're really connected to me. Beware of undervaluing truth. The other error that we can make is, Overvaluing fruit we have fruit somehow God graciously works in our lives maybe to lead others to Christ or something like that and we can get arrogant we can think somehow we were involved and more a part of that process than we actually were and usually when we get arrogant God comes along and puts the smack down and anything that related to fruit will stop and dry up for a while or it will be fruit uh, A.W. Tozer said sometimes we get fruit with wrong motivation it's like an apple with a worm in it it kind of looks like fruit, but there's, it's not going to have lasting value. We have to watch out for this. Hosea talked about in Israel, the error they made at the time was, as their fruit increased, so did their altars, so did their sacred stones. They began to worship this fruit that wasn't even from them, it was from God, but they worshipped this fruit. We have to watch out for all three of these errors. Each one of us can be prone to one of them or some combination of them. Don't try to redefine fruit and don't undervalue it. And don't overvalue your part in it. Don't become arrogant. And we have to each watch for this. But the question that all of this morning is based on is this. You know, I don't know what fruit has been like in your past. I don't know if you have a history of leading a bunch of people to Christ in high school or college or as a young married couple or some other phase of your life. Or well, I don't know, some of you maybe have never led anyone to Christ. And you know it. And it's kind of this, this you feel this nudge in your heart related to that. I think we need to set all of that aside. And the point of this morning is to say, would you like to bear much fruit? Do you want to bear much fruit to glorify your Father and prove that you're a disciple of Jesus? That's the question that you need to answer. Do you want to bear much fruit? Because we're going to look at four, four vital truths, four essentials to bearing much fruit from Jesus' teachings. These are His words, not mine. And, but, but my question is, do you want to? Because I do. I want to bear much fruit. And I know I can look back at different phases of my life and go, wow, that was really fruitful. And um, God was very gracious in that. I want to be fruitful today and now. And I hope you do as well. And if you don't, I hope you bear with these next four points. Let's look at this next verse here. Jesus said this. Here's one of the ways that uh, a necessity, a vital truth we need to apply to our lives to bear much fruit. He said, I am the vine. And you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. The first point is this. You, a disciple must abide to bear fruit. We must abide in Christ to bear fruit. What does it mean to abide? What is, how do I do that? What does that mean? Um, uh, a few other ways to look at it. I like the, um, I think this is the message Bible. is put like this. It's phrased like this. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. When you're connected with Christ, there's a promise and an intimate and a close and an obedient relationship. Fruit is inevitable. Fruit is promise. Much fruit is promise. But how do we abide? You know, abide is not a word that we use a lot. You know, it's like, Someone gonna you know you're gonna move in a bunch of guys moving in together. Hey, do you mind if I abide with you for a while? That'd be really cool. Get a 12 month lease to abide together. Um, We don't use that. Abode. It relates to the same word abode. You know, inviting someone to your humble abode. Same idea. Other other ways it's phrased in the Bible is to remain in. Uh, I love how even the, the Living Bible sometimes says to live in vital union with. To live in vital union with. You live in vital union with Christ. You are promised to bear much fruit. Uh, I think of another phrase that's used in Romans uh, eleven seventeen. It just talks about them, when a branch is grafted in, that when you're grafted into the rest of the, uh, the vine or whatever, that you, you receive nourishing sap and that you're nourished and then things can happen in you and beyond you. When you're connected to Christ in an intimate, in an obedient, in a trusting, loving way, Things can happen in and beyond you. There's a nourishing sap that produces a fruit that is not your fruit, but it is his fruit. Um, Another thing related to fruit, uh, same concept is. The same idea of being filled with the Spirit is the same idea of abiding. If you're abiding in Christ, you are being filled with His Spirit. You're yielded to, controlled by His Spirit and therefore His life can be lived in and through you. We're going to do a whole series coming up in a couple of weeks just on that idea of being empowered by His Holy Spirit, living filled with His Spirit and seeing the fruit that comes from that. When I think of an example of this, you know what's a good example? I think of uh, Mary in the Bible. Mary, which Mary? There's a whole bunch of Marys to choose from. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'm talking about Mary uh, Mary of the Mary and Martha sisters. Do you know that, Mary? Yes, I do. Okay, good. Alright, that's the Mary we're talking about here. But the, uh, I love this passage. As it relates to abiding, I think she's a great example of how you and I can practically abide, at least begin to abide each day with Christ. And says this about her... Her sister, you know, verse 39, Luke ten thirty-nine. She had a sister called Mary. This is Martha opened her home to him, previous verse. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. Only one thing is needed, Jesus said. She was busy preparing a lunch probably for Jesus. She had invited Jesus into her abode. But Mary was in the same abode and one of them was busy and distracted by all sorts of things and one of them was sitting, abiding in in Jesus' presence. I I like to think of abiding as uh, enjoying His presence and listening to His Word, listening to His voice. How has the abiding been going in your life? Have you ever sensed the presence of Jesus through His Holy Spirit? Have you abided in His presence? Do you connect with Him and, and hear from Him through, your, through His Word when you read it? I loved how this maturity class that we went through spent several weeks talking about getting in the Word in such a way that you're not just doing your dues and checking things off, but you're connecting with a person, with Jesus Christ who has instructions from you that might come from the very thing you read that day. And then you carry that connection all day long as you walk and step with the Spirit. And that is abiding. And Mary's a great example. And I've been trying to get back to that myself recently, even through this maturity class that we did. And I've just found that a sense of that nourishing sap filling me up again. And God wanting to do things in and through me in ways I've seen Him do that before. But we've got to be abiding. You must abide if you want to bear much fruit. And there's a promise to that attached right to that. If you abide, you will bear much fruit. It's a promise. Available to you and I. Look at this next verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies. If it doesn't do that, it remains just alone, a single seed. But if it dies, it can bear much fruit. There's different returns. I was trying to Google uh, some some seeds and weeds and things like that, and I'm not a weed expert, but Jesus was not necessarily trying to be a weed expert when He said, hey, by the way, one grain can have a, a 30-fold or a 60-fold or a 100-fold return. I looked at different sites of grain yield, and from, you know, 30 to 40 to 50, depends where you are, what type of grain you're using there. But the, the point is that so when seed dies and is planted, it bears much fruit. In some ways, Jesus was speaking of his own life here. Let's see. Um, you know, he was speaking of uh, how he would die. And because of his death, many would become alive. Many seeds would be produced from that. But in the same, he follows it up by saying, uh, and you got to follow me. If you're going to be my servant, you got to follow me into this. And we must die to ourselves in such a way that we can bear much fruit. And die into ourselves in this context, you know, the verse is directly related to that. Let's see if we got the next, the points related to that. Um, they say things like, uh, let's see these verses here. It goes on to say, The man who loves his life, verse 24, right after this, This man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We must die to our selfish and worldly desires that would distract us uh, from living for Him things that would prevent us from abiding in our relationship with Him. The context is, again, living in the world and itself. self. I think of a few thoughts like we can't live, you can't live a worldly life and bear heavenly fruit. Many of us want heavenly Christ-like fruit but you can't do that if we're living in worldly lives um, i think about the idea that you cannot live a you and i cannot live a life that's all about us all about my preferences my needs my like me 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 but somehow i want to bear a fruit of a life that's all about jesus that only fruit that fruit only comes from a person who is living a life that is all about jesus you can't have both we cannot have both though we might want that though we might think we're doing that Jesus said that's not how it worked." Uh, I think of the old saying, some of you might have heard the saying before, that person is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Have you heard that before? They're so heavenly minded they're of oh, no earthly good. But, you know, I don't know that we have that problem around our culture that much. I think that the problem we have is a little more, probably flip a few words around, but they're so earthly minded they're of no heavenly good. We get so caught up in the things of this earth. I would say earth not accidentally. Things like living to be green, things about being organic, things about so many things that we're concerned about in an earthly way that I believe is going to prevent us from bearing heavenly fruit. Because we're so earthly-minded, how can we bear heavenly fruit? And, and Jesus warns against that. And He said, here's the way you must die in order to make this happen. Um, there's an example in the Bible that I think is a good example to us. It speaks of Lot. You know how Lot lived in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? And um, it says this of Lot, even in the New Testament, Second Peter, Chapter 2 puts it like this about how God is able to rescue people even if they're in an environment that's going to get judged like Lot was. And it says, If he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. But if this is so, the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment." You know, Lot was living in this environment. Sometimes, you know, we could think he, he made a lot of mistakes. You read his story, you go, what a, what a messed up guy. But somehow God, through gracious eyes, said, you know, Lot was living in a world that he was tormented by. All the sin that was going on all around him. And the question I have for you and I are, you live in lives where you go, I hate my life in this world. I'm tormented by all the sin and yuck that's going on all around me. Or you live in a life that's pretty darn comfortable. And you kind of don't mind all that. And I'm afraid, again, we want to bear much fruit, but we're facing the same temptations here, men and women, of, of living a life that is comfortable. I'm reminded of the words from a song. Uh, uh, some of you know Newsboys, great uh, old, old rock and roll band. Uh, no, good old Christian band there, but they have a song. One of my favorite songs is one called Lost the Plot. Some of you might know that song. It's got a few lines in there they are kind of uh, being a little sarcastic about how they can feel, how we can feel. If you're not dying to yourself and your worldly desires, you might feel a little bit like this song, because I know I've felt like this before, but he says, you know, the, the idea is uh, about when Christ returns. You know, it says this line here. When are you coming back again? Would you bring me something from the fridge? Heard a rumor that the end is near, but I just got comfortable here sigh let's be blunt I'm a little distracted what do you want? headaches and bad faith are all that I got first I misplaced the ending then I lost the plot goes on to say once we could follow and now we cannot you would not fit our image and so we lost the plot once we could hear you now our senses are shot we've forgotten our first love we've lost the plot when you're coming back again we'll be waiting for you when you're coming back again, we'll be ready for you. Maybe we'll wake up when. Maybe we'll wake up when you come back again. Finishes the whole song with that apathetic attitude of when you come back again, would you bring me something from the fridge? Heard a rumor that the end is near, but I just got comfortable here. Men and women, we've got to watch out. Our spirits go, I hate this place. If you're a new creation, a follower of Christ, in your spirit you go, I hate this place. It is a tormenting me. And our flesh goes... It's not that bad. I could get used to this. I like these things that this world has to offer. But you can't, you can't do both. One of them will lead to a life of much fruit and one of them will not. One of them will prove to be a waste eternally thinking. And we've got to watch out for that. And so the next verse we're going to look at here is a parable that Jesus told about... The, some of you know it. The, known as the, the parable of the sower and the seed. It's in many Gospels, we're going to look at some of the parts of this from from the account of uh, Luke here. But it says this, uh, one of the phrases there, to go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. You know, a disciple must mature to bear fruit. You must mature if you want to bear fruit. Other uh, versions uh, render this You'll be unfruitful. You will not produce anything beyond this. The fruit does not go to maturity. We must watch out for that. We must be mature to bear fruit. The whole uh, maturity series, um, you know, was talked about habits. Maturity is is a habit. Maturity comes from your thinking is in line with God's thinking. And that leads to... choices that are in line with God's choices which leads to actions and, and character and habits and all that leads to a destiny that we will reap one day but, um, but we've got to be maturing and, and it's, again, maturity is not about aging you know, in, in life, as you get older, you know, they say, well oh, that person is just more mature it's a nice way to say they're getting older they're adding some gray hairs, their body's not doing the same as it used to do But spiritual maturity is not the same as aging. Spiritual maturity is a lot more like exercise. And you know what? You could be 50 years of being a Christian and you could be less spiritually mature and exercising and living it out as a Christian who is one year old in the Lord and they're obeying what they know. You know, a spiritual maturity is not about what we know. We spend a, a whole lifetime filling our brains with knowledge. We live in a culture where you can fill your brains with all sorts of things about the Christian life. But we must not confuse that with spiritual maturity. Are you exercising and obeying those things from the Bible that you know you should do? Because that's what spiritual maturity is about. And, and sometimes maybe we, we had better habits. We were more spiritual. It's more like exercise. Again, it's like when you're younger, we could be more spiritual, more fit. I think about high school. I was looking back at some of my old track and field days and I remember one time I ran a two-mile race in uh, 11 minutes and 19 seconds. Which, if you don't know anything about running, that's fast. That's super fast. No, it's not that fast. That breaks down to about five-minute miles, a little over five-minute miles. You know, it's not quite the dream miles. It's the dream mile plus one, one uh, 1.5 seconds, you know, whatever. Um, but for me, that's fast. If I tried to run five-minute miles today, two of them, I would, die. I would
1: die.
0: I would die well into the first mile, you know. That's physically fit. About back in the days, one of my in my flesh, one of my claims to fame that I highlighted a lot was I could dunk a basketball. You know, I had the ability to palm a basketball, which is a good start, and then I could jump up to the rim just high enough to where you could kind of flick your wrist, and we called it a Larry Bird dunk. I don't know if you guys know Larry Bird, but uh, he kind of had the white man's disease like I have, and uh, but I could get up there and I could throw the ball down. Nowadays, when I try to jump. I, I don't even—I don't even think about getting on the rim. I, I think I would rip my rib cage in half. But ah! so I did grab the rim the other day. I've been getting in shape. I grabbed the rim. It was at my father-in-law's house. It was an adjustable rim. It was down about eight and a half feet. Man, that was, it was good. But, uh, but anyways, when it comes to spiritual maturity, it's all about, not, not about then, not about in the past, not, it's about what's going on now. What things are we exercising in now? And we've got to make sure that we are, when it comes to fruit, we're exercising in Christ-likeness, Christ-like choices, Christ-like character, and we are, and we are introducing people to Jesus Christ. If you define fruit by one way or the other, you're going to find it. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about Character in your life, the fruit of your life, the meat in your life, and the ability to reproduce and see others brought to Christ and see others brought to Christ. I love how this is put in the... Um In the Living Bible, the same passage. This is somewhat convicting, but it's worth reading. It says in that same thing on the sower and the seed, it says the seed among the thorns represents those who listen and believe God's words, but whose faith afterwards is choked out by worry and riches and responsibilities and pleasures of life so that they are never able to help anyone else believe the good news. But the good soil represents honest, good-hearted people. They listen to God's words and cling to them and steadily spread them to others who also soon believe. Men and women, if we're not maturing, we can never lead another person to Christ that's going to bear reproducing fruit either. We've got to beware of defining it the wrong way. I'll look at this video real quick and we'll wrap up on this spot here. Um, with a one-minute video segment, you might go, how in the world does this relate to anything? But I will tell you that. a little bit,
1: right? Huh? I can give you a vein like this. I can make it look just like this, right? Most people say, hey, what's wrong with you, Reggie? Why are you only working out on one side of your body? Tell me, it's like, hey.
0: movie, I don't remember anything about the movie it's one of those M. Night, Shama Lama movies um, whatever, you know uh, I don't remember anything about it but that one clip I'm a scientist you know, I like that idea, you know but it reminds me of this subject here, when we define fruit of Christian lives, you know, I think one side of us, we we go, look at this ah, look at the vein, you know We're, we're pumped on one side of our body and the other side is scrawny scrawny If any one of us lived a life, we walked around looking like that, we'd be embarrassed. But unfortunately, if we saw things through spiritual eyes that maybe God sees things, we might realize, we might be pumped on one side and really scrawny on the other side. And that's not a disciple of Jesus because the scrawny side is actually the side where Jesus says you're supposed to be bearing much fruit. A sign of following me is not a scrawny little side when it comes to witnessing. You know, Bill Bright wrote a book years ago called Witnessing Without Fear and his organization, Campus Crusades for Christ, they found in some of their surveys that uh, up to 98% of Christians in the world would say they were either lacked confidence or fruitfulness in sharing their faith. 98% of the Christians in the world back when he wrote the book and I I don't think it's gotten any better. That means there's a lot of people that are really scrawny on one side of their lives. And, And are we any different? We might think we are. What's going on in your spiritual life? The problem here, I've got a little soapbox I'm going to close on here, but it's the idea that we're kind of getting pumped about other things in life. There's so many causes out there. There's so many good causes, you know. Um... There's things uh, from... And I'm all for... We partner with uh, an agency called Alternatives Pregnancy. And they're all about giving alternatives to people who are thinking about abortion. And it's a great, great organization. And many lives are saved that way. We partner with... Uh, there's people that we know that... Uh, have adopted others for the sake of, you know, just maybe they can't have kids or something. And that's a great, great cause. And there's things out there, maybe some of you, you know, think you're getting pumped about some things. There's dietary concerns. There's health issues. There's all sorts of things that we're getting. It's kind of like we're, we're like that guy. I'm a scientist. You know, we get these things we're pumped about. Living a sugar-free life. Living a gluten-free life. Living on cattle that is grass-fed and grass-finished. Living the lives where we got range-free chickens we got to have range-free chickens, right? We're, li- we're living a life where we're so consumed about earthly and natural and organic things that I, I think we're missing something that's much more important. You see... Um, we all got our causes in our soapboxes, but um, and we're, I'm seeing it more and more. There's a trend more and more in our society. People on Facebook spouting out about their opinions on this and that. And maybe there's even some facts thrown in. But we're pushing them on other people. It's not just about what's good for me. It's about why aren't you doing this? People are judging other people all over the place. And I, 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 we've got to be reminded, man, when, when it comes to bearing much fruit, glorifying the Father, being disciples of Jesus Christ, there is only one cause that He gave His blood for. There's only one cause He died for. There's only one cause He told His disciples to live for. There's only one cause that can save a soul from perishing in hell forever. Are you living for that cause? Are you pumped about that cause? Are you getting passionate and personal about that cause? Or are you getting fired up about other things that are popular in this day and age? There's people going to hell, men and women. When's the last time you shared the gospel? The gospel as passionately as that secondary issue. When is the last time you shared it as personally or persuasively as some other little thing in life? We've got to get back to the one cause that Jesus gave us men and women. That's what this series has been all about. And I hope you're not defining fruit differently. I hope you're not downplaying it or exalting it. But we've got to get back to the cause of the gospel if we want to bear much fruit. The last point we'll just leave you with so I can say we hit all four of them is just... um, a disciple must ask and believe God to bear much fruit. We've got to be asking for all these promises. The verse here where Jesus said, Hey, look, if you remain in Me, you're abiding in Me and My words are in you, ask whatever you want. If you're synchronized with Me, ask for whatever you want. See, what's the next verse He says? And by the way, here's what My Father is glorified by. Much fruit. Hint, hint, hint. Why don't you ask Me to bear much fruit? Why don't you ask Me with help abiding? Why don't you ask Me with help dying to yourself? Why don't you ask Me to help in maturing? Because it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. We need to be asking for that, man. And we need to be praying for that. We need to be fasting, God. And I think you'll be surprised at how easily God will answer that request for um, bearing much fruit. Last night I was here just working on my teaching. I thought, you know what, I'm going to throw the garage door open here. Uh, I sit in there all the time finishing up PowerPoint, trying to do some practicing. And I thought, you know, Lord, you say ask and you'll answer. It'll be given to me. And I said, Lord, ask me. I, I want an opportunity to share about you. Uh, I've sat in that cafe a number of times, and never really had an opportunity to share with someone, even while I'm there working on a teaching. But I had the door open, and probably four people came in and examined our building. And said, but one guy came in, stayed here for about 40 minutes, uh, and I talked to him. I shared my testimony. I shared the gospel with him. He lives. He's probably the closest person to our church. He's in one of these houses there. I don't know which one. His name was Will, and I was just amazed that you know Jesus says, "If you ask, it will be given to you." And if we want to be bearing fruit, you want to share your faith, ask and believe that He'll give it to you. You know, I think at one point He talked to these blind men and said He would heal them but he told, and He asked them this, do you believe that I'm able to do this? That's a question you've got to answer. He knows your heart. It's real clear He wants us to bear fruit. It's real clear He'll, he'll give it to us if we ask. But do you believe He's able to do that in your life? Use you to introduce someone to Jesus Christ? Use you to baptize and teach them to obey everything that He commanded so that they can reach someone for Jesus Christ? And you know, well, I believe he, he wants to do that. I believe that that's our vision. This whole Envision series is what is a disciple of Jesus and how do we make them? And, you know, God's vision for us as a church is that we should reach the world with Jesus, with the gospel, through multiplying disciples. That so we should reach the world one life at a time. Not worrying about all these secondary issues. Those are great things. There's people that have serious health concerns. And yet I know people that still work to find common ground. So like Paul said, they can win people to Christ. Not develop some niche, fad uh, thing that they can get pumped about and get excited about and put on blogs. But that they can communicate the gospel to people. We need to be doing this so that we can reach the world one life at a time. And one world in our lifetime. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, I just, uh, I just thank you for your words and your teaching. And God, I just ask for your grace to be able to live them out. Lord, I ask that you'd help me and each one of us, everyone here who would want to bear much fruit. Help us to abide in our relationship with you. Help us to die to our selfish, worldly desires. Help us to mature. Help us to live believing you can answer these prayers that we ask you. Lord, I just pray that we would be a church that is all about our greatest causes, the gospel, and about reaching the world with the gospel through making disciples, through multiplying disciples. God, we just ask for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom and everything that would be needed in this. We just pray together for it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning, guys. We'll see you on Father's Day here.